When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we've got Upland Overlanding Part 2 with Jimmy Lewis. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 210. All right, welcome back to the Birdshot Podcast, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. We've got part two, Upland Overlanding, coming up with Jimmy Lewis in just a moment. But I, of course, want to thank all Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast, everybody out there making those voluntary contributions in support of the show. I sincerely appreciate it. Bunch of new signups last week while I was at Pheasant Fest. I got to meet a bunch of patrons while I was there as well. And for all those patrons, they are eligible for the monthly giveaways. We've got some exclusive discounts for Upland Institute, Gumleaf USA. They're getting bonus content. And of course, we are sending them the little welcome package with Birdshot Podcast can coolers and stickers. And I will mention this. I've got some Birdshot Podcast t-shirts, the ones featuring the J. Dowd artwork that I had made for Pheasant Fest. And I've got some left over 
And when I get caught up from the show and get around to it, I will be offering those to Patreon patrons first. We'll have something coming out on that very soon. And of course, if there's any leftover, I will make those available to everybody else out there. And I'll probably mention that here. But just a little heads up, we got Birdshot Podcast, Jade Out Artwork T-Shirts available for sale very soon. Go on to Patreon patrons first. If you're interested in signing up, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. All right, we're going to get into the episode today pretty quickly. I just want to say coming off the Pheasant Fest week weekend, it was an awesome event and I'm so glad I was able to participate once again. However, I was pretty under the weather for most of the weekend, which was unfortunate. And really not until today, four or five days after the show, I'm finally getting clear of what I deemed to be a pretty bad sinus infection that had me not in the best shape and unable to do much other than work the Upland Gun Company booth during the show hours. I was locked in my room early every night, have not had a drop of alcohol since the Thursday before Pheasant Fest, and did not get to participate in any of the activities going on around the show, which was definitely a bummer. I didn't get to go to the Onyx 40X party, nor do any socializing really, again, outside of the show floor. So I still saw lots of familiar faces, met a bunch of new ones. It was great to chat with people briefly, but that was not the most fun I've had at Pheasant Fest by a long shot. And I suppose I will be looking forward to the next one where hopefully I am in better health. But my lack of fun aside, I did just want to say thank you to everybody that stopped by and introduced themselves at the Upland Gun Company booth. You heard me say it a bunch of times. It was our first show event as Upland Gun Company. We had the whole crew there, Del Whitman, and we were really busy all weekend long. It was a ton of fun. Met so many people that came to see us specifically and got to show off the beautiful Italian-made guns from RFM to a lot of new people as well. So it was a ton of fun and a great success for Upland Gun Company. And thanks to everybody that stopped by and checked us out. I am feeling better today and I'm going to tee up part two of our conversation with Jimmy Lewis on Upland Overlanding. I will say I got a bunch of feedback from folks over the last week that really enjoyed our sort of tease of the subject matter in part one. So I think those of you out there that message me and everybody else listening will be excited to dive a bit deeper on part two. Our conversation with Jimmy will pick up right where we left off. We talk a lot more about the gear and some of the specifics of overlanding and how we can utilize some of that in our upland bird hunting adventures. And I think with that said, we will welcome back into the conversation and onto the Birdshot podcast of ex-overland, Jimmy Lewis. All right, so I don't know if we need to lay any more uh, foundational groundwork for overlanding, but, and we're kind of, we're sort of dipping into it here, but, um, like what are the key elements that we need? Obviously we need a, we need a vehicle. Um, I did want to ask you, I thought, I thought you had to have a Toyota Land Cruiser, but it doesn't sound like you have to. <laughs> no, you know, I mean, to the credit of the company I work with, that's Overland, um, you know, who's partnered, we're partnered with Toyota. Oh, nice. Um, and they, they really, you know, I, I can say probably our, our business is largely responsible for making, bringing overlanding to the mainstream. And so, yeah, a lot of people are like, well, if it's not a Toyota Tacoma, can it really be called overlanding? <laughs> uh, 
the, the truth is you could you could overland in uh just about anything um you want to it's it's the spirit of it you know that matters but there is that element right of remote rugged travel that fits so well into the world of upland bird hunting and what i love to do so i would say that the vehicle platform really can be any um conventional four-wheel drive vehicle with reasonable ground clearance right so this can be anything from a Toyota 4Runner to a full-size pickup. And even, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't push out, you know, there are smaller vehicles nowadays that um, like all-wheel drive with maybe a center locker, mm-hmm. uh, you can get down right into, I mean, dare I say something like a RAV4, you know, these, these smaller, really hyper fuel efficient vehicles yep. that will get you to a lot of places. But you do the problem with those kind of vehicles is is you do run out um, of of opportunities when you hit the more rugged country. So I, I think most guys are starting out with a, a half ton pickup or a three quarter ton pickup, or they're starting out with some kind of SUV like a Forerunner or Sequoia or Land Cruiser or something like that. Even bird hunters, right? Like yep. just talking to bird hunters now. Yeah. And they're going, well, how do I how do I get this to the next level, right? So the, the, the basics are as follows. Um, if you want to head out with your dogs, you want to stay out into the, in the field and camp comfortably and do what we call wild camping, what you really need is you, you need power, right? So you're going to need some extra electric power. Um, and that's going to give you like something that is a huge win is refrigeration. Yeah. And I remember Justin talking about this and whether it's for your own food or it's the birds, I, I love to have a refrigerator, a powered refrigeration system for my birds because I, I just get so tired of, even with Yetis, you know, I mean, you get water in there, and right. ice pack, pain in the neck. Um, yeah. And you're giving and so, up space for ice and all that. Yeah. 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 It has to be replenished and it really limits you. Like there comes a time when it's like, you need to, you need to get out of the field. Um, so I think, you know, for your typical bird hunter, if, if you put a solar panel on top of your rig and you wire that to something like a Goal Zero Yeti 500 watt or 1200 watt um, charge pack, then you're able to do a lot of things with that, right? Power wise, you can plug in a refrigeration system of some kind, um, like we're talking about, you know, Dometic makes excellent portable refrigerators, uh, National Luna, I think ARB has them now, and they can just plug right into that charge pack, and the charge pack is hooked up to your solar, and now you have a way to have refrigeration for your food and birds that is self-sustaining. So that's huge, right? Oh, uh, man, okay, portable refrigerators. I've never really looked at them. What are they? What do they look like? I'm I'm looking at my beer fridge here in the in the garage. Is a portable refrigerator nothing like that? Nothing like that. Okay. Best of them, in my opinion, anyway, are made by a South African company called National Luna, um, and they've been, uh, you know, South Africa and Australia; those are big overlanding places. So a lot of the best products come out of those countries. Yeah. And uh, God, they have been battle tested in the extreme. And um, like, let's just talk about like a National Luna portable refrigerator. It's it's like a chest. They're all they're all chest designs. Okay. Yep. That's for a reason because cold sinks. Sure. So when you open up, right, it, it's way more efficient. You're not losing your cold air. Got it. Uh, and they are they they are 
built to optimize efficiency for obvious reasons, right? Because you're overlanding your vehicle-based power system. Uh, so they need to be uber efficient. And they can be set up so there's a freezer area and there's a refrigeration area. So if you want to bring, if you want to freeze birds, because you, you know, you're out for a long time and you're just like, okay, I have time to freeze these guys and then uh, put my food over here. There's an area where you can deep freeze, an area where you can run normal refrigeration. And they would be I'm trying to think about the size, you know, to give you some idea, like a Yeti, a, a portable fridge big enough to really handle the load of all your food and the birds is around an 80, 80 to 90 liter fridge. Yep. And that's going to be about the about the same size, maybe a little smaller than a, a roto, roto molded cooler of the same capacity. Right, right. Okay, got it. And and how much power are we talking that these things need to to stay cool? Obviously, we, we're talking about a little bit of a, quite an elaborate setup with the solar panel and that kind of thing. But how much power do they need? You know, it seems, and it, just to speak to the solar thing, it, it if we were having this conversation even five years ago, I would I would tell people, yeah, it's a little little scary. If you're not like the super handy DIY person, you're going to be like, what? Solar panels, batteries? Yikes! I'm running for the hills. Yep. Nowadays, though, it, because overlandings become so popular, yep. you can go to a place like REI and walk out of there with everything you need to be remotely sustainable. Um, you know, because all like the solar panels now plug right into these charge packs, like uh, I was describing, yep. you know, Goal Zero, um, Dometic makes them. And then the fridge park uh, plugs into that. And the charge packs, you can also plug them into your uh, cigarette lighter or your uh, your inverter in your pickup. So while you're running your pickup, yeah, you're going yep. from bird, yeah, you're charging it that way. So it's really not that complicated anymore. And in some of the solar panels, you can either mount them on top permanently or they're portable. Yeah. So if you're going to be camped for a while, you just open it up and plug it in and you've got, you got your power. Wow. Um, and they're hundred waters. Uh, most, so most of the time, if you have a hundred Watts of solar power, um, that's going to be enough along with your inverter and alternator in your vehicle to keep things charged up. Okay, cool. And then, Obviously, we could, I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole talking gear and specifics, but just using this as an example, give me a ballpark cost for the portable refrigerator setup from solar panel to charge pack to refrigerator. I mean, are we talking a couple grand here, less? What are we looking at? I, I think to, to do it well and, and really get you know, the, the kind of quality that I, I think you would want to have out there, you're looking at anywhere from 1500 to a couple of grand. Okay. For the whole setup, right? Um, and then it can go up or down from there. And I would say to save yourself money, really assess your needs. And this is this is a, a fundamental theme we have in just building an overland vehicle in general. Don't don't get dreamy eyed by looking at Instagram and all these cool rigs and think, oh, you know, I need this or or more is better, right? If there's a Yeti 1200, then I'm not going to buy the 500. I want the, I want the full 1200. Yeah. Uh, watt capacity amp hours right and i would say no like really try to assess how much energy do you need what kind of what does your daily look like are you the kind of person who's going to be sitting in camp a long time are you going to be running from place to place you know bird hunting and you can charge everything without a solar panel right off your pickup um 
and then buy accordingly. If you only need 250 watts or 500 watts for your charge pack, stop there. Yeah. And you can save a lot of money doing that. So, you know, do your homework, assess your needs, and then buy accordingly. And this stuff lasts. So if you if you buy a name brand, you're you're looking at probably a 10 to 15 year duration okay. of, of all stuff working, maybe longer. Some of them, like some of these solar panel companies have 25 year warranties. So wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I can't even imagine the tech, you know, will be so much better by that time. Right. Like they're well made. Stuff is well built. You're not going to be having to repeat it. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Well, we'll circle back to kind of the, you know, we talked, so we talked cold food storage. Well, I want to kind of talk like cooking, sleeping a little bit, but I did, before we totally move on past the, the Toyota Land Cruiser bit, I, I, it has long been and still is, but I'm wondering if the dream is dead. I always dreamed of, of, I've been a Toyota guy, I guess, my whole life. My dad sold them and uh, just a fan. So I drive a Toyota Sequoia, and I always wanted a Land Cruiser. But the the news, like, within the last couple of years, like, they pretty much canceled them to North America, right? And the and the values have skyrocketed from my uh, estimation. Um, they were already premium price. But what, what can you tell me about the Land Cruiser, Jimmy? Well, I, I can tell you that, it's an amazing platform. Yeah. So there's absolutely a reason for the demand. Um, and that a lot of us, you know, cried when, when we found out that the 300 series was not going to be offered here in the States, yeah. uh, you know, which got the U S with, with all our luxury and amenities, right? Like right. there are a lot of people here who would love to get a Hilux or, over here. Um, but the land cruisers, yeah, they're, they're a fantastic platform. Um, and sadly, yeah, you're probably going to have to pay dearly for them now. But uh, if if that's what you really want, you know, you and you can afford one and get your hands on one. I, I the value is probably not going down. Um, you know, they're right. Gosh, every generation of those sustain. It's kind of like buying, I guess, like especially when you look at the vintage cruisers, Nick. It's like buying a really. Um, well-made firearm like a nice side-by-side yeah right that's a work of art it's a functional work of art it holds its value and you're basically taking your money and as long as you don't destroy it your money's in a safe place for a while yeah which is crazy to think about with a vehicle because that's like the complete opposite of most vehicles (laughs) that's what toyota man toyota is just they, they are amazing um and so now here's something though. You said you have a Sequoia. What year? Yeah, I have a 2007 Sequoia, which I bought in 2017. And it's funny because at that time, I was looking at both Land Cruisers. Now I was at that time I was looking at the 100 series Land Cruiser or the Lexus, you know, 470, whatever the 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 Lexus version is. And the prices were pretty similar. You know, I was going to get a newer Sequoia than I would the Land Cruiser for similar price, but it, I wasn't that um, sticker shocked by the Land Cruiser prices at that time. The thing is, you're with the Land Cruiser, you're compromising in some ways compared to the Sequoia, specifically with respect to size and uh, like the interior, the Land Cruiser has the bench seat in the middle and they're just not as big as the Sequoia. So at that time I felt like the compromise wasn't worth it, but the prices on the Land Cruiser in 2017 were not 
that crazy. Well, then, you know, fast forward to a year within the last year or two, you go and look at those same, like, I bet if I would have bought a Land Cruiser at that time, I probably could have sold it for more money today. I mean, they, they shot up like ridiculously, Doubtless. which, you know, yeah. Doubtless. So cut two things I want to say to this. One is uh, back to that, that overarching theme of being honest about your needs. Um, like if you're a bird hunter, right. And you're go and you're, deliberating if sequoia or land cruiser like you were at that time yeah uh, now if your passion is in a land cruiser i i know guys who feel the same way about land rovers right the british sure. land yep. rover yep. get what you're passionate about right i and if I, your heart is deeply involved in that you yep. know go for it but if you're if you're doing a, a kind of spock like objective analysis mm -hmm. of your need <laughs> i can see why you bought the sequoia yep. in your case as a bird hunter having a little extra room and more capability for that part of your life versus say trail capability that a land cruiser would give you. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing I want to add, right. With the, with what's going on right now. So, so listeners know this. So Toyota has re-engineered the, um, the Tundra this year, the, the third generation of Tundra is yep. now out and they re-engineered the Sequoia and the Land Cruiser, the 300 series Land Cruisers being sold overseas. Yep. But they have done this in a way, I think this is very, you know, this is smart of Toyota. They, they've built the chassis. So while the chassis can be lengthened or shortened, depending upon the vehicle, the components of it, like the springs and the brakes and how, how it all goes together are the same. So if, if you're buying a, a brand new Sequoia right now, not saying it's exactly like the cruiser, but there's some elements of that Sequoia that you would find in the ah, 300 cruise, right? That's cool. Uh, okay, your thoughts on the 2023 Tundra? Um, I, I think it's a fantastic new platform. I, I've thought very seriously about trying to get my hands on one, especially the hybrid. Um, one of the, the issues, of course, in overlanding and in what we do as adventure bird hunters going into these remote places in the West is uh, range of our vehicle. How far can we go on a tank of fuel? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's a huge problem. And, you know, Land Cruisers, the older ones, notoriously, uh, all, all Toyotas, like their trucks, like I, I had the, the second gen Tundra for about 10 years. I loved it. Yeah. But I love the fuel economy. <laughs> Not <terrible>. good. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. Yeah. Same so with my Tundra Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's got way more power than the new one, the hybrid especially, and it's got almost twice the, the range. So I think uh, there are some things that need to be worked out. It's a new generation. There are always going to be some things. And now with uh, you know, the restrictions that are heading our way in terms of electric vehicles, manufacturers are really being pushed to come out with new technology. Yeah. So even companies like Toyota are going to have some challenges. But um I, I think the, the new Tundra has tremendous capabilities for the kind of things we're talking about, as does the Sequoia. Uh, but here's where I, this is worth noting, why I've tried the SUV for upland bird hunting. Yep. We, we had at one point, we had a Suburban and an old, uh, we actually had a Land Cruiser way back in the day. Did you? We did. Yeah. We did. It's, uh, I think, a 100 series. Okay. And yep. just a freaking amazing off-road machine but 
I did. I did want to pitch this to you. This is a fork in the road, truck or SUV. I wanted to. I wanted to get your take on. Uh, it. Let's <laughs> talk about it. Let's talk about it. I have an opinion on this. <laughs> I have an opinion, and it's an opinion based um, upon experiences that I've had. Yeah. So, and you know, I could put my wife in on all this because she, she and I were, you know, each other's partner, running around doing this stuff forever until we. Um, had her kid and you know started with all our family stuff and we found out that when we went suv it was great um you know that there was heat for the dogs and there was a lot of good good things right it was great until the dogs got into a skunk oh yeah yeah i've heard that one yep (laughs) it was great until the dogs got diarrhea from something they ate in the field and we were on our way back from the cover to the hotel i've Um, had that happen in my buddy's yeah, pickup truck, we were fortunate in that regard, but it was still a pain. Actually, when I was in Montana, it was my only Montana hunting trip. We had two dog diarrhea incidents. <laughs> oh, God. It's a wonder that we've all survived those. When you, you have to climb into that crate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is it? Uh, metronidazole, I think, is the must-have. In the I first just stage. read that in an article today. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I, I had some of these uh, salty, uh, well-seasoned bird hunting outfitters kind of tip me off on a few things that saved my butt when yeah. I was first out. But yeah, well, that's that's uh, that's what pushed us back into pickup platforms yeah. is um, that that issue with the dogs getting into things and overall funk and stench. And then too, if you add fly fishing waders to that equation, oh sure, thank you waders. Yep. Oh, yep. Yeah, you know, you could have you could have exterior cargo boxes and stuff to solve that, but that doesn't solve your your dog problem. And that that was anything else come to mind? Like the the main thing I think of with the SUV is great for cooler conditions, but always makes me nervous in the heat because you can't slide you know you can't slide open the screen windows on your topper and stuff. And that was something you maybe remember Justin Barkley and I talked about where he had got these screens for his truck windows so that you could have airflow um and i i actually i gotta go back and look i think i i thought i ordered them but i don't know where they are if i did get them but that doesn't then you can't have your truck locked you know so if you have those screens on somebody can just get into your truck so that's the concern on the suv side of things yeah i remember that justin mentioning this, and i thought that was just such a gold nugget of a tip yeah uh, such a simple thing you know to keep ventilation going in your vehicle and keep the bugs out uh, but yes, that, that is another reason that um, I would say, you know, thinking back on it, I, I went for the pickup platform is that you you can keep the dog so much cooler. You can ventilate. And I, I'm a huge fan of the color white. Yep, me too. Um, and that's, <laughs> do you think <laughs> right? so? Do you think that am I crazy or does that not that's got to reflect? I feel like it reflects heat and keeps my truck cooler. A thousand, a thousand percent. Okay. I've, I've done tests and yeah, all you need to do is have a buddy with a dark colored truck yep. in your white truck and out here in the West anyway, like maybe back East, it's not such a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but out here, the sun is just so direct and intense that, it, that the color makes all the difference. Um, so yeah, if you have a white truck and a white topper and you have screen windows uh, you can put a little spray foam insulation in the topper even sure. to, to put other, right? 
and you open all that up, then the dogs, as long as you have the ventilation and the, and the cover and the shade with some insulation, those dogs are going to stay cool. Yeah, that's, that's great. I, I always, I mean, I just came to that conclusion. Actually, I used to work at a, at a Toyota dealership on a car lot, washing cars and moving them around and parking them. And I probably, that's probably where I first noticed it getting into white vehicles versus, versus dark colored vehicles. And I mean, it's pretty common knowledge that darker colors soak up that heat, but I just, I didn't know if there was anything to that. I just, I liked the color white and I was very uh, specific when I bought my truck that it was going to be a white one. Well, I, I can tell you the times when I've let my aesthetic sense get the best of me and I've been like, ah, you know, I'm going to buy that beautiful green pickup or whatever. <laughs> Yep. I always regret it, man. Always regret it Yeah, <laughs> for the things that I do, you know, even back when I was a fishing guide and I, I built a raft out and I, I had them build it in a, I could choose my color for the boat. So they, they built it in this kind of powder baby blue mm. and all my guide buddies just laughed and made fun of me. But, you know, with a raft, the air chambers really matter. And, and if it's super hot, you know, you get more air, less air. It's like, I'm going to try to minimize that. And then if you touch the side of it, it's not going to burn your hand because yeah. it's like, like dark, darker colored boats. So, yeah, though I think living out here and being an outdoors person, it just makes you a pragmatist. And that's why I've gotten into all this overlanding yeah. stuff. You know, you keep making your vehicle a better platform to sustain yourself and the dogs out there. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, well, I, I will still say that, uh, you know, again, I don't know what's what's going to happen with Toyotas and Land Cruisers and stuff, and they're not, the, you know, the the ones out there, are they're only getting older, but my uh, my dream vehicle at this point, and I could even knock, you know, I could I could find reasons where it's it would not be the right fit for me, but I still want a 200 series 08 to 11 Arctic White, uh, I don't know if it's Arctic White or Super White uh, Toyota Land Cruiser, but I would still love one of those. <laughs> if anybody's got one, uh, let me know. <laughs> With the background you have, it sounds like with Toyota, with your dad and, yeah. and your, your family, I mean, I, I, that's even all the more reason. And, you know, you could always like a fine shotgun or you make that argument. It's an investment. Right. You're just putting your money in good place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, back to the whole overlanding thing, uh, whether you got an SUV or you have a pickup, nowadays um, for shelter, right, for a sleep system mm-hmm. to have somewhere to sleep at night, you can throw a rooftop tent on top of either one of those vehicles. Um, as long as you have some kind of solid rack system, you can put the tent right up there. And then the tents are designed, a lot of them, so you could have a solar panel on top of the tent. Okay. And uh, everything really is getting to where it's plug and play, Nick, in the overlanding world. Yep. Uh, to that point, this is something to throw out there that is definitely got some value. And you think a bird hunter is trying to do this without having to put a lot of work into it and figure it all out. Um, Toyota now has a, a kind of a grade of vehicle. Like, you know, they've done TRD forever. Yes, Toyota yes. Okay. Their new grade is called Trail Hunter. Oh, really? And I, think, I haven't even heard of that. Yeah. yeah, man. They just launched it at the SEMA Auto Show this year. Okay. Or back last year, I guess now, November. And uh, the the whole concept is oem overland vehicle build so you know you show up at the dealership and you drive away with a vehicle that's fully capable of going overlanding with with everything you need the refrigeration the rooftop tent the the upgraded suspension just everything you would normally have had to build into the vehicle yourself it's it's on it 
Um, so they, they're getting close to releasing their first versions of that. And meanwhile, now they have something called the Associated Accessories Program, huh. where they've, they've vetted out accessory providers that align well with Toyota, that they're willing to stand behind with their OEM warranty. And so now, even like right, right today, you could go buy a Tundra and you could add these overlanding accessories at the dealership roll it into your finance package and have your same standard vehicle warranty apply to all these accessories. Wow. That's pretty wild. Rolls and go. Yeah. 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 I could thinking about it. It's like, it, it's pretty awesome if you're not a DIY kind of guy. Right. Right. Yeah. Let's, um, that's, that's a great, uh, great area I wanted to get to. Let's talk at what point, cause those rooftop tents, one of my buddies had one and, and I mean the, the, obviously you've got the base, you don't have to find a place to put your tent down, but what's the point where, where does the rooftop tent start to make more sense than just having the, you know, the traditional tent? Um, the one drawback that I, the first thing that I would point out is every time you want to go hunt in the morning, if you got one truck, you got to, you know, take your tent down. And I, I understand they're probably designed and engineered to be pretty easy to set up and take down, but talk me through the thought process there. Yeah, Sure. Um, so, you know, just to put out there, because when you're talking about something like overlanding and upland bird hunting, you know, same thing in that there, there's a huge price point range, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. You're happy, happy to get whatever dog he can. There's, there's a setter down at the Humane Society that needs a home, and he's got an old pickup and a topper on the pickup and a sleeping bag. Um, and that, that, that guy can load up his his dog in some gear and a ground tent like a simple ground tent and go out and do the kind of things that we're talking about doing um but then from there you just can keep you know adding money and sophisticate sophistication to create a, a better and better platform to the point to where you know a middle-aged dude's out there thriving and very comfortable um yep. and rooftop tents to that to that point today there's just so, oh man, that you know, the popularity of Overland is just leading so much innovation. So now a, a rooftop tent, there's there's some models that you can put your bedding system in. Like they're like clamshells. Yep. So you put in your your air mattress. You know, most people have some kind of air mattress, just like your backpacking. Mm-hmm. And then you have your sleeping bag, pillows, and what whatever bedding you like to use. And then um, you can. Oh, my wife just and then the dogs are <laughs> all good. <are> talking, <laughs> um, but yeah, you have it all in there, and and the the tents operate on struts like gas struts. Yeah. So it's the end of day. You're ready to break camp and go to sleep. You undo a couple latches, give the the clamshell a nudge, up it goes. You climb in, sleep for the night. Your screen windows, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's it. The next morning. That's it. You I mean, close that's it simple. And you, yeah, that's simple. Yeah. So we're talking. Yeah, we're talking like less than a minute here. Set up and take down, basically. Yeah. Once you once you have it dialed, you know, you have it yep. installed. You figured out your kit. You know how to use it. You're talking a couple of minutes, yep. and you're ready. Cool. Um, which you know, and and kind of to speak to that, some Nick, I've I've had just about, and I've slept in the back of my truck back in the old days, just right in the pickup bed. Um, with a few pieces of gear mm-hmm. and now you know that's evolved I've, I've gone through all these different iterations and now um, I have a four-wheel camper 
that slides in the back of my truck. And um, that's like a little cabin on wheels. And it's super, super comfy, super nice. And for a slide in, it's very lightweight. You can take it places. But there's a part of me, you know, the Toyota is going to come out with, um, I think, anyway, it's not out for sure now. But I think there's going to be a hybrid Tacoma before too long. And it's going to get great fuel economy and have tremendous off-road capability. And I've even thought for myself, you know, not out with my family and my kid and all that, but just me and some dogs. If I had a rig like that and something like a go-fast camper or an out-of-box clamshell on top of it, um, and if, you know, just the refrigeration and my gear, um, man, that would be fast, light, easy, fuel efficient, you know, go anywhere with it. Um, so I think, you know, that that platform lends itself well to bird hunters, something like that, like a, a pickup with a rooftop tent, because down below you can have your kennels and all your everything you need to camp. Uh, you can put fly rods on top, anything like that. And it's it's a very light, fast, go anywhere kind of setup, you know? Yeah. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Yeah, definitely. Uh, two things. One is I I thought I had heard that, um, and I think maybe my dad was telling me this that at by some point in the very near future, Toyota has said that they're going to have pretty much a hybrid vehicle version in every one of their models. Um, which I don't know if that's that's one hundred percent true. It's kind of what you're alluding to, but um, I am curious. Toyota has been they're not at the forefront of the electric vehicle, full electric vehicle, but I know that they're working on something. Um, and they're, uh, I, I think you, I haven't done a lot of research on it. I'm sure you could find some stuff on it, but I'm curious to see what they do in that space just as, as that continues to evolve. But you had said a slide, a camper that slides into the back of your truck, like a cabin on wheels. Well, you're breaking my mind. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, dude. Okay. Um, so, I mean, in the world of, of just camping, right. Just truck, like the simple way to put it would be truck camper. Yeah. Um, and that's where, like, 
you know, you get a lot of guys kind of get hot-headed about all this, Nick. Like, well, you know, it was, it was just car camping in my day and, you know, truck camping and now there's overlanding. And, you know, you kind of get that type of attitude out there. Yep. Um, but, you know, what we're really talking about is just a truck camper that nowadays um, they, the, the overlanding community has inspired truck campers that slide into the back of a, say, a half ton or a three quarter ton pickup. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was thinking yeah, something I, totally different. Okay. I know what you're saying now. Okay. But I and, do, but I do the, picture a very old sort of slide in camper. So, yeah, I'm curious how they have evolved. Yeah. Imagine state of the art, high tech, yeah. lightweight, complex off road. Um, all these systems that we're talking about putting in, like refrigeration, solar, power. Built in. It's built in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And some of them you can remove the, the, the platform when you don't want to use it and have your pickup bed back and all that sort of thing. So, um, and there's a huge range of, of luxury or simplicity when it comes to those truck campers. And, and I deliberate there, Nick, because I, um, you know, I am 50 years old and there's some amenities I really like. Yeah. Like, for example, I'm to really appreciate having some kind of heat system mm-hmm. in a platform. Yeah. The Montana the thrive factor that that brings but i also you know just appreciate things that are fast and light and simple and easy too so i I think a lot of this you can spend as much money as you want like i i could sit here and delineate uh honestly a two hundred thousand dollar platform yeah that in fact that case i'm like i'm selling my house right like i'm I'm moving in justin style i'm just gonna do this uh, on the road um or you can have something that is more you know, conventionally priced, but it's going to work fine for weekend warrior stuff and maybe, you know, the occasional week-long trip. Yeah, got it. Um, what, sp- speaking of heat sources, what what sorts of options and, and things are we, are we talking about there? Because I do think, that's something I think about from time to time. Again, just one of those, like, uh, creature comforts. Yeah, totally, man. And it just oh, it makes such a difference for restoring yourself. Yeah. And, you know, especially, and out here in the West, it just, it gets cold out here. Um, and I have my pointers, Nick, you know, they have short hair. They, <laughs> they, they gotta be cold. warm and cozy. <laughs> those dogs. <laughs> oh, we, we, we do. They always come in as long as they haven't been skunked or, or worse. Right. They, they're usually inside with me. Um, but yeah, for heat systems that you ha- you have some different options for a pickup style sleep system like let's say you got something like a four-wheel m or a go fast camper um the alibox cabin like these are all just different makes of sleep systems you could put on either a mid-size or full-size pickup um there are heat systems the one i'm thinking about is um, a labasto uh the other that comes to mind really excellent brand is truma it's a german brand and these are all heat systems that began with things like RVs and semi-truck cabs and all that, but now they've, they've developed overlanding products. So you can install these little heaters and uh, they'll either run on propane or you can plumb them right into a fuel tank, like whatever you're, whatever fuel you're running, diesel or gas, and they're hyper-efficient. They're very, so wow. it's not like you're going to drain your gas tank. Yeah. Uh, and you can, you know, it's at night and you're, let's say you're cooking or you're hanging out, reading a little bit, whatever, and you just want a little extra heat and warmth, uh, you can turn these on and they'll they'll make it super comfy in there. And then at night when it's like you're in your bag and you're ready to sleep, you turn it down. And then in the morning when you want a little heat to wake up, yep. make your coffee up. So 
yeah, there there are ways of going about that, and and now like even with rooftop tents, there's some innovations that are starting to happen there. Um, so so heat is possible, and there there are quite a few options to get into there. Yeah, do we do we, the the thing that comes to mind is insulation. I imagine you know a lot of I know I know the campers and stuff are getting insulated tents. Um, you know, I think the ice fishing uh, craze has sort of fueled that and i don't know where it came from but you know you can go get these quilted insulated ice ice houses i've got one um you, when it you comes know that. You know that being a Duluth. yeah exactly exactly i don't i don't ice fish mainly because i just i can't stand sitting around too long but i do love to fish but um are there like if you're buying a rooftop tent just knowing that you know we're we're talking primarily hunting we're doing this in the fall and the fringe seasons where we could right. be dealing with with cool stuff um are most of them insulated do you got to look for an insulated thing how do you think about that yeah most of them most of them have some insulation okay uh, so so you can you know if you're running a little heating system you can stay pretty tight um and you know we just because we're overlanders or in the industry and we like to geek out on all this stuff um yeah, we'll we'll go out and push ourselves to see how cold we can camp in with sure. our various and so you know it'll be 20 below and we'll we'll go ice fishing and do a camp right so we're like fishing camping or even just like for really extreme stuff to test it out we'll just go out in the driveway yeah um we're pushing to like 10 20 below zero sometimes and, uh, and we're still reasonably comfortable and warm. Like you still have temperatures in your cab, like around 60. So when you're out there in the fall, you know, and it's a chilly October night or early November, uh, or you're up in the high country bluegrass hunting and it dips down, you know, at around 40 at night, the, the, the kind of heat systems we're talking about and the level of insulation we're talking about, the typical rooftop tent or some kind of cabin um, sleep system that you put in an overland vehicle, like it's plenty adequate to keep yourself warm yeah because you you know you're building a fire and you're enjoying camp life and then you're just climbing in your cab a little bit at night yeah let's say it's going to be zero degrees at night what is the setup that you have that you're going to use that you know you're just going to be toasty cozy Mm. i would say uh you know toasty cozy the setup I'm I'm gonna use. Well, it's, it's we can. Gonna, it doesn't have to be like. I mean, we're not sleeping in our bed at home here, but I mean, comfortable. I guess I'll say. <laughs> yeah. So I would say um, to, to there are two ranges of that. The the more the more sim- simplistic kind of Spartan setup, you know, the the Tacoma fast and light setup I was telling you about, or you could do a Tundra the same way, would be uh, either a go fast camper system or something. Uh, called an alu cab uh, they're made in south africa and they make a cabin it's called the alu cab cabin and they just go right onto the pickup and and basically what these look like is it's it's like a rooftop tent design so it's like a wedge when you open up the sleep area it's on it's on the top of the vehicle and it pops up in a wedge shape it's very roomy but then the pickup bed below you is where the heater would be and so you turn on the heater there and and it emits the, all the heat you could want and then it comes up into your sleep area uh-huh. and even at zero degrees uh like to the point uh clay croft owner founder of x overland deliberately took his set setup just like i'm describing Bobasto heater alocab cabin one of the new tundras um that we have he and his son went out 
when the forecast was for record-breaking cold here recently, 40 below, and they camped for the night in that system. The thermometer bottomed out at 40 below zero, and I think they still were maintaining 50 degrees-ish in yeah. the cab. Wow. And Clay is like hardcore Spartan, sure. you know, type dude. Like, so if he could have made it even warmer in there, he may not have just to make it rugged and tough for his son. <laughs> Whereas I would have been like, yeah, crank that thing up. <laughs> so, uh, but to the point, right? I mean, it was 40 below and they were comfortable in there. Yeah, that's unreal. Yeah. The next level of comfort and warmth would be something like I have uh, one of these highly efficient slide-in campers, like the four-wheel camper. Um, AT Overland makes some amazing pop-up systems. Uh, there's something I was just looking at the other day that, you know, price range, yeah, it's out there. But somebody, you know, there are plenty of people in this world of bird hunting have a lot of money to spend. And um, it's called an A-Terra, and it's like a, truly like a cabin um, on your truck, but it's lightweight and it's designed for off-road. And yeah, you can spend a night in there and you're going to be like truly comfortable thriving, um, in a platform like that. So, you know, there's, there's a broad range and if, if you're young and resilient, you can get as rugged as you want. And it seems to me like the more you push past middle age, the more you, you like those amenities. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we've, we've talked, we talked a little bit of cold food storage. We talked, uh, sleeping power. Uh, what about cooking? Let's talk briefly about cook setups. What do you, what do you like to cook on? And, uh, you know, again, kind of, I would say leaning towards that sort of simplistic, minimalistic, what do you need? Bare essentials. Okay. Um, yeah. But, um, first of all, like we talked about all the holistic stuff earlier and philosophy around that, like to me, the joy of going to some remote wild area, bird hunting all day, not having to drive out of there at night, you know, just yes. my buddy and I come back, we just pitch camp. Right. And we're there. And so I always have, um, it's a portable pop-up fire pit and, you know, use are pretty oh. common now, light aluminum packable. You don't leave a, a fire scar if you build a campfire. Um, so they're very, you know, environmentally friendly. They're recommended in more popular areas. Um, but you know, you, you have a, just the kind of soul warming aspect of a campfire. And then you have a grate that they come with. You just throw the grate down. So if you got some birds that you just, you just uh, pulled out of the bag and you, you, know, you want to have for dinner, you throw them right on the grill or burgers or steaks or whatever. And so if you have decent weather, and even if you don't, like an accessory I'd recommend is some kind of awning or wing, like yeah. the whitewater raft, use those wing setups. And that way, whether it's shade or it's shelter from the rain, you got somewhere to get under and just hang out in the chair and, you know, cook and whatever. Um, so, so for starters, just, just the firewood, you, you know, some kind of a fire pit where you can grill your main food items, um, that, that's an easy win. And usually the best quality food is coming off of that in a camp. Um, and then beyond that, uh, I like to have some kind of propane stove. So um, a unit that we're all really fond of. And again, a lot of this overlanding stuff, like it links to the world of whitewater rafting because uh, uh, it's very similar, you know, rafting. The whole the whole point is to enjoy the float down the river in the middle of nowhere and be self-sufficient and camp well and eat well. You got to be mindful of space stuff. and everything. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, same kind of thing. So we we uh, there are a lot there's lots of whitewater deer that crosses over um, into this world of overlanding stuff. So there's something it's called a cook partner, and it's a rugged little aluminum portable um, stove, and it's propane fueled. And the thing like it's a it's a one time purchase. It'll last a lifetime. Super well built. But anything like that, right? There are lots of variations. I would just recommend try to keep get something light and reliable and easily stowable. Um, so now, like if you have some some kind of propane stove and a table, like a lightweight table, you can throw down to set it on. You're good there. Um, you can cook with those. Sometimes you can cook outside. You're cooking outside the vehicle most of the time. Um, but if you have the right kind of setup in, in a, a cabin type of deal, you can be inside. You know, like so, like what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Like yeah, ventilation. We'll use those to cook inside some. Um, and then the bare bones, Nick. I I would say is this. Like for some guys who are like, you know, I'm not into this culinary thing, and I don't need to eat well and all that fancy stuff. You know, I just I'm here to hunt and I'm here to camp and do that. Well, get yourself a jet boil. Yeah. And make sure you have plenty of jugs of water and some freeze-dried meals and you know dinner can be 15 minutes and you're done go to bed and get up at five in the morning and do it all over again right um right so and i i just keep one of those jet boils tucked away just in case other systems fail i have you know some some way if i have some freeze-dried meals and and those are pretty good nowadays like they've they've upped their game a lot but um yeah if i have some kind of system like that freeze-dried meals and water then I've got the basics of what I need. Yeah. I think I, I don't, I haven't done enough camping. I mean, I want to like just ex- everything, what you're saying, I've started to think more and more about wanting to be able to go out and hunt, come back to the truck and just not go anywhere else. You know, it's, yeah. it's so oftentimes we kind of base this stuff around having a lodge or a cabin or, and that has its pros and cons, but um, the adventure side of thing is, is kind of like maybe just, you, you wrap a little bit more into it. And obviously if you can make yourself a little bit more comfortable out there, it gets more appealing. So I, I I'm lacking, I don't have a jet boil. Um, and I haven't tried many of the freeze dried meals, but I know those are increasing in popularity. So I don't know, you're just piquing my curiosity a lot here. Oh dude, I hope so. And I, I hope some other people get inspired because, you know, I, I've, I've done this a, a lot of different ways, including the little motels and small yep. towns in yep. Eastern Canada. And I've had some decent experiences there. Don't get me wrong. You know, there's some people, folks doing a great job with their businesses. And right. uh, that can be nice. But it also, like, I started to realize the places I wanted to hunt were just, you know, more and more remote. And um, it required, in some cases, you know, hours to get to the to the area and a lot of rugged driving to get there to where I wanted to hunt. Um, and even regionally, maybe there may not even be a motel nearby. But even if there was, it's like you're saying, like the ability to find a place, park the rig, and go hunting, and then come back. And I just, you know, pop my camp, and I'm there for the night looking at the stars, hanging out with the dogs. And the next morning, I literally am just walking right from camp and hunting. Um, that, that to me is like, it's redefined upland bird hunting now, again, in a way that's fresh and exciting and new and just combines all these passions of mine. And um, I, I've gotten to where I just love being able to park in an area I know is full of birds and stay a night or two and, you know, not have to go anywhere. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's something that I have yet to do, but uh, it's definitely definitely on the list. What do you do for coffee? Are you a coffee drinker? I am a coffee drinker. <laughs> <laughs> I, at any of Jimmy's camps, uh, first the, the essentials are amazing coffee and then a really good bourbon tucked away somewhere All for right. nighttime. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, for coffee, you've, you've got a huge range of options. Yep. Uh, going from the simple, if you have a jet boil, you're going to have hot water. Mm-hmm. So... And I'm just going to throw in there for water storage. I recommend something called a Skepter military grade water jug. They're five gallon jugs. You can put a little spigot on them and uh, you know, you're, you know, they're not going to puncture. They're not going to leak. And you and your dog, you get a couple of those. You have 10 gallons of water. Yep. Assuming you don't have some kind of built in water storage system, like some of the campers have, um, that's a way to just have all the water you need and make it accessible. But from there, right, you got your water supply, you boil up some water, and the very basic, I've written a whole blog about this, Nick, so <laughs> coffee. Well, I'll, have you, I'll have you share some links and stuff where we can kind of direct people. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Um, you know, you could start with something, and, and I, I, this isn't my case. This would be like, you know, you have no other option, but like a Starbucks, the Via Strips, and any of those, like, well-made VS trips or, um, you know, instant coffee arrangements. Mm-hmm. You, you can yeah. just, so, you know, that would be the, the bare bones. But from there, like what I typically do, I make pour overs. So I, sh- I grind up some, some coffee before I head out into the field for a pour over. And I have my little pour over unit and a favorite mug. And all I need to do, that's what I make every morning at home are pour overs. So I, I boil up some water and get a nice, beautiful view you know somewhere i can look out at the morning and make my pour over uh, that's a great way to do it it's light it's easy and all it just requires hot water yeah. um there are a lot of camping style portable french presses you can make yeah uh, so if brewing coffee for a large group you you can like brew tech makes an excellent portable french press that's bomber that makes a you know enough coffee for three or four people in one shot yeah so those I would say, you know, pour overs and uh, French press, the instant stuff. If you're really in a pinch, all good ways to go. Yeah, a couple of my buddies have like uh, you probably will know it. It's a I think it's a popular like it's like a single cup French press style. I can't remember what it's called, but AeroPress. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Yep, AeroPress is excellent. Uh, you can make. I'm an espresso lover. You know, we're talking coffee. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love in the afternoon if I can make a, a little demitasse of espresso. I, I'm that guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll admit it. So, uh, yeah, the AeroPress is great. You can make Americanos with that. Yeah. You can uh, make some espresso or just kind of a, a very rich coffee. So, yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of options. And it's fun, right? That's part of fun of camping. It's like you're doing this stuff. Right. And you're, you're out, like, in the bird cover. And, yeah, I just... Uh, I love, I love the total experience of that. So yeah, coffee, that's, uh, I, I think, you know, we've covered the, the basics of that and there's no reason to be deprived of good coffee. And right. In fact, what kind of coffee do you usually get in some little town in Eastern Montana? Like, I always pack my own coffee in the hotels anyway. So now I'm just making it in camp. Yeah. There's something about, you know, within reason, just kind of being, depending on the kind of person you are, I guess, but just like, 
knowing what you're going to get and, you know, just doing it yourself, you know, that's, that's where a lot of this stuff stems from where you're, you don't necessarily have to, um, explore and, and, and figure out how you're going to check all these boxes. You just kind of, you're self-sustain, self-sufficient, you know, prepare yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's totally at the, the, you know, one of the core tenets of, of overland travel is being self-sufficient and, you know, for what we do, that's just, it's liberating. Yes. Because yes, that's a great, right. great word for it. Yeah. Uh, you, there's no need to go home, uh, go, but you know, home being like back to the motel or the lodge or whatever you just, and, and God, you know, the West, it's just so big. There's some of that country. It does take a long right. time to, right. So, yeah, there's obvious appeal there just as far as, yeah, if you're really remote and out there specifically, you get in somewhere and you don't want to, you waste a lot of time, you know, going to and from, and, you know, we're primarily talking bird hunting trip where the, the, we want to spend the most time we possibly can hunting and we don't want to spend time looking for this or looking for that or, or, you know, commuting from here to there if we don't have to. And so I think that's where the, this some of these things come into play where you can, you can really increase your enjoyment level on the trip. And again, spend more time focusing on the things you want to do. Yeah, totally. You know, and part of the allure of bird hunting, at least out of these, you know, big public land areas in the West is, is that kind of remote wild experience. And it, it can be such a bummer to, you know, be in the middle of that and then have to come back into a town for any reason, Yeah, you know, and it's just like, uh, and you're sitting in the cafe and um, you know, you're back with a bunch of people and got to go to the gas station again and all that. And it's just like, I don't know, it can be a downer when, you, when you're just out there and, and Valhalla and then you got to leave it. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's nice to be able to, to stay if you want to. Absolutely. Well, I, I feel like we've, we've covered a lot of ground. Anything else? I mean, we can go rapid fire here. Anything else come to mind as far as like the – the overlanding camping, like think like must haves or, or things we obviously miss. You got anything on your mind, Jimmy? Yeah. Yeah. Let me bullet point a few things here real quick. Um, I got my, my notepad here even just to make sure I don't miss anything. So um, just to begin with, like we've talked a little bit about this, but mindset, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of guys in our space of upland bird hunting, you just buy a stock vehicle and it's just terrifying to think of doing anything to it. And I would encourage those guys to push past that and look at simple modifications that make a huge difference. Yeah. So one, uh, even, you know, even if you're not going to overland at all, you're not, you don't have no plans of camping. You're just going to build a dog rig and you're always going to stay at a motel. Um, you're still going to want a really solid set of tires for your vehicle. Um, and right. There's the first modification. Uh, get something that, you know, a really good all-terrain, high quality. Um, we usually run 10 plies out here no matter what, just for puncture resistance. And make sure you have, for example, a full-size spare that's ready to go. Um, and I'm just going to I'm just gonna bullet point these things off, Nick, okay? Yeah, absolutely. This is good uh, stuff. This is kind of like the, the 80-20. Like what are the, what's the low-hanging fruit, things that we should definitely focus on? Again, not specific to uh, living in your truck for a month, but just like what can we all learn from people that do that? Yes. Okay, perfect. So uh, first thing, you know, with any vehicle build, tires. Yep. Make sure they're generally a good all-terrain, puncture resistance, full-size spare, 
And then also make sure you have a legit tire repair kit. So even with the full size spare, I, I've actually been on bird hunts where we've blown through the spare and now we're sitting there and we've had to plug a tire and repair it. Uh, there's just all kinds of debris on those backcountry roads, stuff that falls off of pickups. Um, you're gonna have flats if you do this long enough. So be ready to repair your tire and to that effect, um, have a, a, a legitimate compressor, like a well-made tire compressor that you can reinflate with. Ideally, low-hanging fruit here, if you're willing to spend the money, buy an actual ARB, portable ARB air compressor. Mm. And that way, like some of these areas out here where I'll go bird hunt, I'm going to run, honestly, like around 50 to 60 miles of rock gravel to get to where I want to set up. Um, if I have the ability to lower the tire pressure down to like say 30 pounds, as opposed to highway pressures of 50, 60, the, the truck's gonna run much smoother. Like it's gonna be a softer ride. The dogs are gonna have, have a softer ride, the guns, all my gear. Um, and if you have a compressor, then when you hit the highway again for good, you can just air back up. Um, and that, that's just such a nice little thing to have, even for running mountain roads. And um, if you get a flat too, you know, then you have a compressor that is going to for sure be able to take care of anything like that. Uh, as far as some, some things to keep in mind, if you do go about building your vehicle, even if you put something like a custom dog box on your vehicle, which those things can get heavy. And if you've got a dog box, you've got a front end bumper replacement for animal protection from deer and that sort of thing. You start adding a lot of weight to your vehicle. Yeah. Make sure right you don't go beyond the gv um the gross vehicle weight rating of your vehicle because uh, then your suspension isn't working for you and your brakes aren't working for you if you do then just upgrade that stuff yeah make sure it. you put in right stiffer springs airbags that type of thing and upgrade your brakes if you need to but always be mindful of that kind of thing um then as far as i, I just mentioned bumpers I'm a, I'm a huge fan, having lived out here forever, of just replacing your front bumper with something that uh, is a one-piece unit that has recovery points, so you can get pulled out if you get stuck, um, and that also is going to protect, like legitimately protect your radiator and your engine if you strike a deer in the dark. see a lot of those when you go out to Montana. You see a lot of those big front bumpers. Yes, and there's a really good reason, and I try to get away with not without buying one i was like oh maybe i really don't need it and man did i regret that yeah so yeah get yourself a well-built uh, a complete bumper replacement not something that's just cosmetic but something that can hold up to impacts has solid recovery points so you can get towed out uh if you get stuck etc and then easy win for places like eastern montana and the great plains improved auxiliary lighting Get some LED uh, lights. Good one. There, right? Oh my God. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing that's... how much lighting can can change your your situation. Incredible what it does. Um, and nowadays, there's excellent LED lighting. It's affordable and and it'll prevent you most of the time from hitting something to begin with. Uh, so I highly recommend that. Then make sure you have in the way of recovery. And again, this is even if you have no intention of camping out of your vehicle. Um, you should you still should have some means of recovery so like a kinetic recovery strap that it, it works like a rubber band you hook it to solid recovery points and you can get pulled out if you get stuck you can pull somebody else out 
in the overlanding world, a piece of recovery gear that I think is universal for anybody who takes their vehicle off-road for these kind of like upland hunting, fly fishing, skiing, any of it, are these things called Max Tracks. Have you heard of those? I have not, no. Okay, so have you ever seen like a Tacoma or Forerunner or overlanding kind of rig with like these orange boards on it, like mounted to this? Man, I'm not sure even. Okay. It, that's they're, they're all over now here in the west so you know i just throw it out there yeah, but yeah. they're all technically recovery boards um the best brand by far is max tracks and what they are nick is they're just these like heavy duty composite boards that you carry with you and if you get stuck at like a trailhead or on a trail you just throw them under the tires of the vehicle and the tires catch and pop pops the vehicle right out yeah, yeah. So yeah, portable traction where it, normally you'd be trying to throw some gravel or or do something like that. These are these are solving that problem for you. You got it. You got it. They're solving that problem. They're easy to carry. Very um, interesting. How expensive is something like that? Uh, for a, for a set of four, you're looking at around five hundred bucks. Okay. Okay. And yeah, they're they're light, last a lifetime kind of thing, unless you're using them all the time. Sure. Um. So, yeah, and, and I would say, like, with recovery gear, don't buy the best you can afford because there are cheap knockoffs, but they fail when you need it most, and they're it, that's at best. At worst, they're just plain dangerous. What um, about because, something like not a not a power winch, but like a come-along or do you, anything like that that you'd recommend? Yeah, you know, I've uh, – I mean, like, any anybody – and with a front-end bumper replacement, they usually build those. So if you wanted to, you could put in a winch. I would say for most upland bird hunters, especially, the chances of needing a winch are very slim. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very slim. But, you know, you could still do it if you wanted to. And if you happen to do that, then it's going to be useless without some kind of a land anchor out there in eastern Montana. Right, right. Uh, That's the tricky part. Right. That's the tricky part. Now they do make these anchors you can buy and throw in your rig and they they're like these big wedge shovels and they as you run the winch they dig into the ground so if you're out like in gumbo areas yep. and like that they they will work uh, but that's getting pretty sophisticated yeah um, I've carried a come along uh, over the years and that way I have some means of winching myself a little bit just to move the vehicle some and be able you know put something under a wheel or uh, just give me that that critical amount of movement I need to get unstuck, say. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, good shovel, solid shovel, like shovel you can really use under pressure. You know, yeah. It's not going to break. Um, and another thing I'll just throw out there for dudes, and you know, people can laugh if they want, but it's become kind of this soapbox of mine. Um, be ready to pack out your own poop in some of these places. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and if you're remote enough, it's not going to matter. But um, they're all camping has gotten so popular and there are a lot more people out there doing it. And there's some areas where if you have the ability to be self-contained by bringing along a little portable chemical toilet or a dry flush toilet or something like that, it's just one less thing you need to worry about. So as far as leaving any kind of impact. Um, and I think if we... You know, for like I'm encouraging people, right? Like get out there and camp and bird hunt and explore the backcountry with your vehicle and, and do all these things we've been talking about. But if you do it in a in a way that treads lightly, uh, that leaves very little impact, it means we're going to be able to keep doing it a lot longer. Right. So 
you know, all of these different elements, I, I think if you can be self-contained and, and leave very little trace that you were there, the better chance we have of being able to do this for the foreseeable future, right? Definitely paying it forward, improving the next person's experience, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. I did see something on your Instagram about uh, testing a toilet, uh, <laughs> some kind of portable toilet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you know you're an overlander when you're testing your toilet in your office bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. With all these things we've talked about, you know, it's a lot of fun to test your systems right in your backyard. Sure. Yeah. You know, before you're in the middle of nowhere, so yeah. you know if you're doing this kind of thing, uh, just have some fun with that. Yeah. Yeah, that that's another you know a little bit of uh, preparation and yeah, testing ahead of time can can certainly uh, and you're not scrambling when you're out there on the trip trying to enjoy the trip. So that's a good tip. Yeah, yeah, you find out. Oh man, I have the right fitting for the propane. Now you're a day's drive into wherever. Right? Yeah, yeah, test it out. And uh, one last quick pro tip: um, when you're looking for places to wild camp, there's an app called I Overlander, which you know, basically you have a huge community of overlanders who are sharing places they find to camp uh, responsibly. And that way, when you're touring around, you're like, well, where can I camp here? You'll find, oh, there, you know, there's an established campground here. There's wild camping over there. And it's like the world opens up to you by using that app. So if you're thinking of doing thing, I think that and like Onyx Off-Road or yep. your Onyx Upland is the way to go. Yeah, definitely. Awesome, Jimmy. Well, hey, I really appreciate you taking so much time to chat with us today. This has been a blast. So I will we'll, we'll use the next couple of weeks or so maybe to grab any uh, important links and whatever I come up with, I will throw in the show notes. But if folks are more interested in this stuff, want to dive a little bit deeper, where where might you point them? Um, I would definitely point them to xoverland.com. Okay. Uh, company that I, I do most of my work with. Uh, because uh, through that website, you're going to find both podcasts and blogs that go into the points we've talked about, the subjects we've talked about, like in a very comprehensive and in-depth manner. So, yeah, if you're looking to learn more about these things and really you know, dive into the weeds, uh, xoverland.com is where to go. Excellent. That's uh, this has been a really fun conversation, educational. Learned a few things, and uh, again, appreciate your time, Jimmy. It is we've got what do we got? Seven, eight months until September first. We got a little bit of time to go, but we can always dream, right? Oh man, that's that's what we're doing right now, right? <laughs> and yeah, Nick, I'll just throw in there. Anybody who's listening to this who personally has some questions wants to you know hit me up, they can at, on Insta. Um, my handle is at jlumt. So uh, just J-L-E-W-M-T. Excellent. I will make sure that is linked up in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you for joining us on the Birdshot Podcast. Jimmy, hang on for just a second. That does it for this episode. We'll catch everybody on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast.
Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.